0: Well, thank you so much for joining our ABF online service. And I pray that you are having a fantastic week and you are showing up today to be challenged in your walk with the Lord. Well, whether you are near or far, we'd love to hear from you. So text us at 97000, your prayer requests, uh, anything that you would like to share with us. Man, our staff considers it a privilege to partner with you in prayer. Well, at ABF, we have so many things going on throughout the week. We've got Bible studies, life groups, children's events, tons of things. We'd love for you to jump on our website at agorabible.org and check out how you can get involved. Our ongoing ministries are only made possible through your generous financial support. And we would be grateful if you would prayerfully consider uh, supporting us. So if you'd like to make a donation, just go on our website and you can hit the Give tab. Well, before we dive into God's Word, I would love for you to join me in a word of prayer. Father God, we are just grateful that we have this opportunity to learn from your word, from you, God Almighty. So Lord, in these moments, I pray that you would speak to every individual that is here, ready to hear a word from you. So Lord, speak clearly to us. We open ourselves up to your authority. We love you, and we pray all these things in your name, the name of Jesus. Amen.
1: Well, greetings, church family. Thanks for joining us online. Thank you, Adrian. I wanna invite you, we're working our way, and we're getting closer to the end, working our way through 1 Corinthians here, just a a couple more uh, weeks left. And I wanna invite you, we're in the third part of chapter 15 uh, here today. And so you can start turning with me there, and as you're turning, I'm just wondering how we're all holding up. Those of us that are part of uh, ABF that are doing this uh, month of fasting, it's not just, doesn't mean just not eating for a month, but each day having a different uh, challenge to be in the Word, to be praying. Uh, I know it's been definitely a stretch, even for me personally. I uh, was uh, joking around with some other people in the church that on the days that it's not eating from 6 a.m. till 6 p.m., I set my alarm for 5.45 a.m., go Go downstairs, have a bowl of cereal, head back to bed for whatever it is, and uh, at least start the day with that. But hopefully it's been a stretch for you. I know it has been for me. I'm uh, nervous about when we go into the Daniel part of the fast with uh, with not out eating meat. But the reason we do that and the reason we see it just peppered all over the New Testament is because it's kind of what you describe as a, a healthy disrupt for the natural mode that we operate in. What is the natural mode that we operate in? The natural mode that we operate is trying to maximize pleasure and minimize pl- minimize pain. That's kind of what, how we typically operate. So this jolts us a bit and causes us to a bit of a stir and as we talked about last week, that's the intent that Paul's been trying to have in this entire book of 1 Corinthians, trying to jolt his audience. Well, I know I've found it very helpful just leading up to Easter, spending a significant amount of time just reflecting on the resurrection, and hopefully that last couple weeks have been encouraging to you. I think this week uh, will be as well as it concludes that topic. But really, we've learned a lot about the resurrection. Usually. It's something that we just focus on, just quickly at, on uh, Easter Sunday. But this this time, this year, we're getting to uh, really consider. First, Paul pointed out in the first section of chapter fifteen how really we would be in big trouble if the resurrection hadn't happened. We'd still be lost in our in, in our sins and uh, really still in a place of needing rescue. But Thankfully, as was was mentioned last week, we're not crazy that it's a verifiable fact with hundreds of witnesses seeing the risen Christ, something that we can cling to and find as a a why for the things that we do. A, A compelling factor, one of the things that drives us and brings us back to uh, the, the different things that he's called us to in uh, our life. And so here we're finishing up in the conversation about the resurrection and we learn some more things, some interesting things. What we learn about the resurrection is that it's really something that includes everybody. There's not some that skip the resurrection. In fact, all the way back in Daniel chapter 12, it discusses this topic of this idea that we're raised, every single one of us, some to everlasting life and some to everlasting shame and contempt. Basically, as we mentioned last week, those who are in Christ and those who are in Adam, those who are depending on their own resume as they stand before a perfect God, or those who are clinging to Jesus' finished work on the cross for their rescue. Jesus explains the exact same thing in John chapter 5 verses 28 and 9, that there's a day that's coming that will either experience resurrection to life or resurrection to judgment. It's a serious thing for the person that's maybe listening now, that can't point to a time where they've ever bent a knee and called out to Jesus for rescue, embraced his finished work on the cross. Man, this, there's no better time than even in these moments while you're listening to this uh, message to do business with God. He is a a call away, just calling out to him and he will meet you in your place of need and bring forgiveness of sin, just confessing that you've fallen short of his perfect standard and accepting his death as payment for your sins. For the rest of us that are listening that can point to a time where they have embraced you, they acknowledge their weakness, uh, embraced your finished work, those people, you've got to be, as we're talking about this, all this resurrection stuff, wondering some significant things, some big questions as, okay, if that resurrection impacts me, if the there's a ripple effect we talked about last week, Jesus was the first of a harvest of resurrection so then it leads to all kinds, literally tons of questions about, well, what does that look like for me? What's the resurrection going to involve? What's my, what's my new resurrected self look like? All of these things that I imagine, if you've given any thought to this, you've wondered, well, this week is full jam-packed with clues as it relates to the subject. I think it's going to be a a neat package to uh, uncover just all that God's word actually does say about the resurrected self. So let me just pray before we dive into that. Lord Jesus, thanks so much for this chance to get together and uh, spend some time just exploring the, the future hope that we have of resurrection and what that looks like, what, what the uh, resurrected person, the believer, the follower is going to uh, be like on the other side of this. And although we don't get perfect explanations, it definitely gives us uh, enough hope to cling to, to compel us to keep chasing after you the remainder of our days. I ask that you'd speak to us through this section. We invite that in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, well, starting off in chapter 15, verse 35, this is what it says. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. Paul's always gets directly to people. You foolish person, what you sow Does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that it is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as He has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind of humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. All right we'll we'll stop there if you remember, uh, Paul's responding to real questions that people in uh, the Corinthian church had. And he's also not just responding to their question. he's also a kind of uh, projecting questions that they might have. A lot of that based on some of the reports that he's heard about this church in Corinth. So he's addressing issues that he knows uh, from feedback that he's gotten. And here, he's bringing up a question that some would ask, how are the dead raised? What does he mean by that? Basically, it's a question that would most likely be coming from a skeptic. You see, even in that time period, rabbis uh, mocked even the possibility of a resurrection. They understood that death and decay and they would ask the question well why would you want to be resurrected to the body they've seen what decay does to a human body and the bones that you're left with and saying why would we want to be brought or reconnected our spirit with what is left when our body is finished well Paul responds you see it I alluded to it, you foolish person or can be translated you senseless one He's referring to them as fools tells you that there's something more going on than meets the eye. There's not just a sincere, uh, honest inquiry that they're having, but instead someone that's wanting to, uh, not someone that's wanting to learn, but somebody that thinks maybe they already have all the answers. We've all met that person, the skeptic that's just pushing a button, not really wanting, not coming from a teachable standpoint, but coming from a, a place of already thinking they've got it all figured out. Paul still chooses to respond to that person with question. He responds and he, he uses an illustration that would definitely be relevant to the people in his audience, the people of that day. But if you think about it, it's still an example that we'd still uh, lean into and understanding present day. There's a perfect illustration for even where we live here now. I don't know How many listening to me right now live in Thousand Oaks, California? That's where my uh, wife and I live. Uh, They're uh, right off of uh, the 101, uh, fairly close to the church. And uh, what I discovered is the title Thousand Oaks is actually incorrect because there's actually between 50 and 60,000 oak trees in Thousand Oaks. I thought that was interesting. But he brings up the illustration of this, and he, he points to uh, the, the uh, idea of something that's uh, harvested or something that comes from a seed. In the case of an of a oak tree, we've all seen them around. They're kind of uh, weird lines, but they really get quite massive, and our city is very protective of them. But if you think about that, it's seed that it starts from. I actually found one in front of the church. Uh, earlier today to take a peek at, and this is what a, uh, actually a, an oak tree seed looks like. If you can't see it on that image there, we have one on the screen, but this is where one of those massive trees starts from, and it starts from hanging from the little branch there, and then it falls to the ground, and uh, the part that holds it, kind of like the little cap breaks off, and then you're just left with this kind of uneventful, not that impressive of a seed. What happens to the seed is one would describe it as it dying on the ground, where it literally uh, looks terrible, it starts breaking down. But here's what happens when the dirt connects with it when the water connects with it, it does something miraculous, something that we've maybe got grown numb to. It actually starts to form, coming out of the, the end of it, uh, two different things. It has a shoot that starts coming up out of the ground, and it has uh, going into the g- ground what you'd call tendrils. So basically a root system going into the ground. And before you not know it, you've got what would be described as a little shoot that's coming out of the ground, maybe just a couple inches tall to start with. But then that little shoot keeps getting sun, keeps getting water. It keeps having good earth to grow. And and before you know it, it can become one of those massive trees. It's a really an unbelievable picture of something that we've gotten accustomed to that should be in science fiction. If you think about it, what God's doing there, he's taking something that seems like it was dead and taking and making something miraculous out of it. What Paul explains, he says, but God gives it a body. He produces something that's different and magnificent. Basically, it looks and appears as one thing to begin with in the first stage, but the later stages looks completely different. He's explaining with figurative language, and that's so helpful often to understand spiritual things. He's making the point that you shouldn't have any more of an issue with our bodily resurrection than you do with an annual harvest of wheat or grain. Or in this example that we're pointing to a a tree, all of it points back to the same principle. He's helping them make sense out of out of the idea of a resurrection was something they've grown accustomed to seeing. Now something that they're all familiar with. I think it's a, a wonderful example God can do anything he wants. He can take something that seems dead and broken. So for the person that's wondering, man, this is this is not something that's outside of the realm of possibility. This idea that God could take anything he wants and make it new. Really, with us, that's the idea. That he's going to, on the other side of the resurrection, make something that's new and something that's perfect. I don't know if uh, I've maybe joked about this in former messages that someday I- I'm hoping for on the other side of this uh, to have the uh, the resurrected self with some Fabio hair and uh, some plenty of a uh, plenty of uh, muscles and a six pack the some of the, the the folks in the office had some fun today uh, creating this image I thought you might appreciate uh, seeing that that's the if I'm pl- placing my order for what uh, the resurrected self looks like that would be my order uh, order There we'll make note of that. I somewhat joke, but what Paul explains is he says, uh, "For not all flesh is the same." Explains this. He says, "Hey, I've I've made things differently. Fish have gills, birds have wings, animals have uh complete are completely different than humans." But basically, he's saying he's going to follow order. He's not going to make something. You're not going to come up on the other side of the resurrection and be like how did I become a squirrel? Like it's gonna follow order and design so similar but not the same. Continue with verse forty in this explanation that Paul's giving. It says, There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heaven of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For stars differ from star in glory, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is Paul trying to say with this section? What's he? What point is he trying to make? To me, I, it seems that he's referring to the limitless ability of our Creator. That he's able to take something and make it magnificent. You have some things, anytime you consider a conversation about some of the things in the universe, whether it's stars or the sun or the moon, you're just like, it's just captivating. Just blows your mind. He's trying to paint the picture that God's ability and creativity is ample for the idea of the resurrection. He's not lacking in the ability to, the for the person that says, well, what's God, maybe you've had this conversation before. What's God gonna do with a person that was blown up while out at sea? Their parts are all over the place. How is God gonna put the puzzle pieces Back together. How is he going to reassemble? Or maybe the person that's saying, "Oh, what are we all going to look like the uh, little chubby angels that have wings and playing harps?" Is that the picture? Where does that come from? He's saying, "No, that's not at all it. Our God One ha- does not limited in ability to take something and make something new out of it. He's not limited in creativity to think that he's going to make everything the same. That's why he points to the example of the uh, of the stars." And the creativity there. It's reading a little bit this week that, that God's uniquely made every single one of the stars even differing in color. Donald Petit a reader, uh, uh, from Reader's Digest was quoted as saying, Like flowers, the stars have their own colors. At your first upward glance, all gleam white as frost crystals. But single out this one and that for observation, and you will find a subtle spectrum in the stars. The quality of their lights is determined by their temperatures. In the December sky, you will see a as a pale rose, regal as bluish white, and betelgus as an orange topaz yellow. Basically, what you discover about the stars is God's made them this spattering of just cool sizes, shapes, colors. Here's a, a picture that's been taken all the way back in 2009 from the Hubble Telescope. You get a little bit of a sense of the majesty of God's design. He makes things unique and different and creative. I guarantee you. And this is what He says at the end. There, He says, "So it with the re- so is it with the resurrection of the dead." I guarantee you that we're not going to be disappointed with the outcome of the resurrection. I guarantee you that we're gonna be like, oh, he made us all the same. Like that wouldn't at all be consistent with who he is as having complete ability, power, creativity, all the things. None of us are going to be like, man, I wish I got another option here. Instead, we have so much to look forward to with the resurrected body. He explains more as he continues in verse 42 says, what is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. Again, that idea of planting a seed. It's sown, it's perishable. What's raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man Adam became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit, but is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven, as was the man of the dust, Adam he's referring to, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, Jesus he's referring to, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have been, have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Now, I know we covered a lot there, but let me try to help us make some sense. It's actually not that complicated of a section One of the things if somebody spends some amount of time with me, they'll discover is I have kind of a a love-hate relationship with cars. Man, I can have the most fun with a car, a sports car, or whatever. I really enjoy them. I have over quite a few years, but they can also be my biggest nemesis. When you have, understand something about cars is every single one of them is on a timeline. What do I mean on a timeline? It's not a question as to whether or not a car will break down, the question is, when will it break down? They're all on the timeline. It's a timeline. It's a frustrating aspect. And similar that he's pointing out with us, similar with version 1.0 of man, it doesn't matter if you do everything suggested, in the medical community. It doesn't matter if you eat all your vegetables, if you exercise, guess what's going to happen to every single one of us? We're all breaking down. Some of us faster than others, some of us more than others. I notice as I get older, man, it seems to be snowballing and picking up pace. I've noticed that I even uh, get hurt in my sleep. I don't know if anybody else is like that, where you wake up and then you morning and you're like, why is my shoulder out? Why is my neck so sore? But I, I, I digress, but you get the idea. Version one is perishable. What we see here, what is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. One of the things that we need to know about the resurrected self, about the the, the new body that we're giving is that it does not break down. There's no more sickness, no more pain, no more breaking down signs of aging, signs of something no longer working. That has gone. He describes other things that I think are important of version 2.0. The glory is in contrast to dishonor what is that talking about basically we were created to glorify God to be image bearers but our sin and our failings do the have the opposite effect they actually bring dishonor. our choices so often don't perfectly reflect the image that we're supposed to be as image bearers of Christ. Well that in version 2.0 now, will only bring honor. It's a great reminder that with version 2.0, the resurrected self, man, we are done with sin. Doesn't that sound great? No more temptation towards it. No more regret. No more failing. No more slipping up. No more, oh shoot, I did that again. Sin is a thing of the past. Glory in contrast to dishonor. Power in contrast to, to weakness is another picture described there in that section. We may think we're strong, but we all show signs of weakness. No more. So it's it's now the the new version is the best robust version of ourselves possible. We don't know exactly what that entails, but we know that it's attached in this description to power. Last couple of years, I started noticing. That I, I, for a long time, have worn contacts, but I started noticing that I can't read things as easily that are close up. You might even notice when sometimes when I'm reading scripture up here, I'll pull it away a little bit, giving a little bit of distance. You're just like, man, what, that, that's the weakness. Any of that stuff he's describing is replaced. No longer a thing. Power replaces weakness. Spiritual in contrast to the natural. Basically, now we have times and moments where we live by the Spirit and then times, unfortunately, where we go back to operating in the flesh, the natural man. Instead, we'll be completely, version 2.0 is completely Spirit-led, a completely and perfectly spiritual being done with sin, perfect body uh, and power, imperishable. Then he describes something that maybe can seem a little bit confusing, it's really not that bad. Basically, he's talking about the man of the, of the dirt first. That would be Adam that brought us. We were from dust we came and dust we return. But that's version 1.0. Version 2.0 is described. I think it's a cool description of Jesus. A man of heaven is referred to here. Jesus is that man of heaven that we're, the second version of us is modeled after. Think about that. If you're trying to make sense out of what the resurrected uh, self is going to look like, the resurrected Jesus offers a bunch of clues. I think it's cool if you spend a little bit of time looking at what Jesus's life was like on the other side of the resurrection. Some of the things that was, were noteworthy. One, I think it was noteworthy that he was still recognizable. His friends, he still saw his scars, had, had aspects of him that, were, uh, uh, that they could relate and connect with. Oh, that, that's Jesus. They could connect the dots there. So there will be, I believe, some resemblance with us to the former self, but believe me, there's not there any insecurities that we have are not taking it, taken into the next era. That's not the, or the next uh, indefinite era. The, the, instead, he said the, the, per, the perfect self will, will resemble us, but be different. So the same, but different. Other things about Jesus that I thought were cool, if you think about the resurrected Jesus, think about when he would show up and uh, uh, come into the room that the disciples were in. What did it say that he did? That he literally went through the closed door. You're just like, man, uh, if that's an aspect of the resurrected self, sign me up. That high idea of being able to go into other rooms, that he'd go from being present to not being present. I don't know, we see lots of different things in Hollywood where somebody uh, basically teleports from one place to another. Man, if that's on the option list of the resurrected self, I'm all for that. He's that so going through walls, appeared disappeared. this idea that he ascended into heaven, that people literally watched as he flew as he went up into the clouds. I don't know if that's on the option list of the resurrected self, but flying flight would be a pretty cool addition to the next uh, to, to version 2.0 of myself. Maybe the digital people could help me add those wings on a little bit later. One of the things I also thought was cool that on a number of different occasions, the resurrected Jesus was pictured as eating with people. I don't know if you're like me, but man, I'm really hopeful that eating is a part of my eternity, And I I struggle, I don't know if there's anyone else listening that struggles with different allergies, food allergies, that you're just like, man, dairy, I can have that back, that sounds awesome. Eggs, I can have that back. Gluten, all of the things that are super annoying. Oh man, watch out pizza, watch out ice cream in heaven, I'm pretty jazzed about those things. All of these things, I know we're just having some fun with this, but I think that's actually intended. That we would have some fun just dreaming and picturing what the resurrected self looks like. What it doesn't have, what it does have. That's why in uh, earlier in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2.9, it says, No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. We have good things ahead for us. And it should evoke praise which leads us into the next section verse 50 it says i tell you this brothers flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of god nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable behold i tell you a mystery we shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Kind of a cool picture, kind of reiterating what he's already said, that the, that the perishable is going to be replaced with the imperishable, that the temporal is gonna be replaced with the eternal. He explains that there's a mystery in how this will work. What's the mystery that he's describing? The mystery is not all of us will die before his return. That's the hope of the rapture. We were just talking about that last week that some of us will still be living and breathing. And when the Lord returns, it will be taken to be with him immediately. He describes it as a, in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye. I don't know how you rate the speed of a twinkle, but you get the idea that that's not a, a long amount of time. So some of us and every generation has thought, well, maybe we're the ones. I've joked about it just last week. How about if it's now? How about if it's now? This picture is the reminder that some will pass and be asleep, as was described last time, and others will be wide awake when he returns. Either position, I would suggest, is a good one. And so, it's, it, it's, it's all things that, that are to be hoped for. Now, some of this, you're just like, man, I just have a hard time. Some of you can be honest about this. I have a hard time picturing all this. What's that going to be like? It seems like uh, otherworldly. It seems like something from science fiction. But here's the reality, is that you have a God that we're dealing with that spoke everything into existence, so the things that we seem are unlikely or improbable or not possible, all of those things, everything is possible with our God. That's what Paul is trying to explain to us. There's, there's nothing. And so some of this is like trying to explain to an acorn that crows will someday have nests in your branches. Well, this is the same picture for those of us that are in the here and now. And when he ponders all of these things, after he finishes talking about it, I love what he does, what you see there in verse 54. He says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the Im- immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. And he breaks into what you might say, breaks into song. Basically, this is a, a reference to a passage in Isaiah. He says, "Death," and actually if you're at home, feel free to read this out loud with me. "Death is swallowed up in victory." Oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, Where is your sting? It's almost like he's taunting death. He's saying, "You, you no longer have." Rule over me. You I no longer have to be fearful of you. I no longer have to be crippled by the idea of you. Instead, your victory is gone, and he concludes with the gratitude rightfully directed. He says, Thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The victory that he speaks of over death is found solely in Jesus Christ. And he leaves us with a, a final word of challenge on this topic says verse 58, and we'll end with this. Therefore, in other words, because of this, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. We spend our entire lives assessing things as to their worth. Say, well, is this worth spending that? Is this worth my time? Is this worth my energy, my affections? Is this worth it? What Paul is trying to say in his conclusion is it is worth it. So keep pressing on. Those of you that are, Weary of doing good. Those of you who are like, oh, I don't, I don't feel like getting in God's word again. I don't feel like going to church. I don't feel like witnessing to my friends. I don't feel like doing this. Man, feelings should not be our guide. The why should compel us. The why of the resurrection should move us towards all of those things, so that we're steadfast and immovable. Wouldn't that be wonderful to have said about you? Man, there's something different about Steve. There's something different about Michelle. There's something different about Mark. Man, they are steadfast. They don't get moved. They're not swayed by all the things of this world because they have their eyes on the prize that's on the other side of all of this. And what allows for us to be able to do that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let me pray as we wrap up lord jesus we thank you so much for this reminder of our hope the hope that we have that this isn't it it doesn't come to conclusion when we breathe our final breath that we have hope of the resurrection and what the resurrection describes is going to be pretty epic even if it's just solely based on what we know about your character your ability your power your creativity man i'll tell you what it'll be so nice to be done with so many of the things the miseries that are part of this human experience now. We look forward, God, to the, the the resurrection and what you're going to usher in, God. We praise you for that reality as if it's already happened. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name, amen.